right, inappropriate Earl, back, back for more. Shout out to my sponsors. I only have two sponsors. Daddy's trying to make some money on this for once. The great, if you, all you hockey players out there, if you need gloves, sticks, jock straps, uh, whatever, uh, go to ProStockHockey.com. They got some killer gloves. It's all what the pros use. So if you see a pair of gloves on TV of your favorite player, they can get you those gloves. Not the gloves that the guy's wearing, but like those gloves. Uh, and of course, Stephen Piercy has been with me from almost day one, the lead singer of Rat. Well, he used to be the lead singer in Rat. Now that's a whole, now there's like three rats touring. Uh, some might say that's three too many in 2016, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, at Mike Knuckles, if you're a rock and roller, if you're a stand-up comic and you've got bad material, but you want to stand out anyway, get a pair of Mike Knuckles, put them on the microphone, and people won't notice you're bombing so badly. That's why I have like six different uh, models. Uh, I have the Vinnie Vincent model on right now, the pink with the little uh, silver sparkles at the end. Looks like his pink flying V. And uh, it's been a big week, uh, last couple of weeks, uh, inappropriate. Our last uh, week, uh, the great Roger Caps from Pat Benatar, uh, the OG bass player. And I got to sing Shadows of the Night while he played the guitar. And uh, we're working on a uh, male tribute band to Pat uh, Benatar called Patrick Benatar. And uh, so far, it's just me and him. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Eric Bischoff, the, the, the genius of WCW beating Vince McMahon. And uh, today I have a dude that I've known for, I think, uh, over 10 years. And this is the sad thing in uh, L.A. comedies. You can know someone for 10 years and not really know them. <laughs> because we've you know we've done a lot of the same rooms and then we went off uh different paths uh and so uh, i have no idea what to ask him so we're just gonna just get into this but he's a super funny dude and he's a man whose name i've butchered many times <laughs> please put your little sausage fingers together for the great debian dumont oh no tea dumont yeah, just the end. <laughs> we the don't N know word. if there's a, a T. It could go either way. It could either be the T, like Dumont, or a D-E, like Dumont. So the T would be of the mountain, and the D-E would be of the world. I'm well, hoping, hoping D-E. This is, this is already way too deep for my fan base. <laughs> and uh, Debian is black, and this is Jackie Robinson Day. So, is it, Oh, is it Jackie Robinson Day? It is. I celebrate nice. it by uh, saying the N-word 42 times. <laughs> and, uh, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. There's, a, uh, that's, there's one of the benefits of doing a podcast is that uh, if you make it all the way through. And then if someone decides to look me up later, they'll go, oh he God. was black? Yeah. Well, that's you are, I think, the second African-American gentleman I've had on the show. I think the first was Jeremy Paul, great Long Beach comic. And also, Jeremy holds one of the distinctions of being only the second person to say the N-word, hard E-R ending, on this show. The first was Carlos Herrera, who's a <laughs> white Jewish guy. Is there a thing that they're you're going for? Or no, he just said it, and he, after the uh, podcast, Carlos, uh, one of my best friends in comedy and life, said, "Hey, man, you're going to edit that out, right?" I'm like, "Nope, I'm what? trying to get ratings." Yeah, baby. why? Well, what, what? Well, he's in the business. So. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, like, why would he say it 
if it didn't apply to the context of whatever you were talking about, you know? Well, I try and not edit anything out. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's only an hour podcast. Because so if he's like, edit that out, then that means he meant it. He's like, listen, that wasn't part of what we were talking about. That's just right. me. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've said the word and not meant it. Uh-huh. You know, I've never said the word on this podcast. Uh-huh. Not even referencing Hulk Hogan or... Uh, he, you know, he said the N-word 42 <laughs> times today. Mel Gibson. I think the picture Hulk Hogan took with me uh, at WrestleMania 18 was his downward path to destruction. He took a picture with me. And it was one of the great highlights of my life. Oh, there's <laughs> just taking it with you. <laughs> well, I was I dating you- the uh, manager of Motorhead, the female manager, as many know. <laughs> they have two managers, male and female. And uh, Triple H... I was a big Motorhead fan, and uh, he had them sing his theme song live at WrestleMania that year. So we got to be in the locker room, and uh, everyone loves Motorhead, like the, at least the wrestlers. They're like a cult band. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a comic. I might be the Motorhead version uh, in the comedy world. Like, everyone loves me, but no one knows who I am. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's why I think I identify so much with Motorhead. Like they should be a lot bigger. Oh wait, no one knows who you are as a person. Well, you mean? definitely not that. Even the pe- <laughs> I mean, uh, I've had uh, more failed relationships the last three years than uh, an NFL combine class. But uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, Motorhead should be bigger. Like they really sell more t-shirts than they do records yeah they've got a great logo that like looks like the alien you know it's like a skull and then like got some weird writing uh and i'm the same way like i should be a lot more known but i'm trying to do this podcast so i don't know what's going on hey i agree man Uh, uh, as far as comics that should be uh uh more well known yeah i'm gonna have to jump in on that list too yeah, it's just you, one of those I mean, things. Uh, I think a lot of our paths too. Here's a funny thing. I, I love. I've always loved the statement when people say, "Dude, every time I see you, you're here," and they're like, they're just so blown away by it. But my statement's always been, "Well, I'm no physicist, but how are you seeing me?" It's because you're also here. So <laughs> maybe the fact that people being here isn't such, you know what I mean. So wherever they they you know they no matter where they run into, dude, you're always here. I'm like, well. How are yeah? How are you taking stock of this? So, um, every time every time I would be out at a show, I'd run into you, and you were, but you were performing. Sometimes I was just there. I would just be there hanging out. You know, uh, I was there for the networking or just you know, uh, kissing hands and shaking babies. Palming. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I call it. High level palming. <laughs> you know, because that's a lot of this. A lot of this business. That's is, all of it. Yeah. And so when it came to the when it came to the sh- the stage time, it was like some people I say they they treat it like uh, they're just a shotgun. They just go in and just blast every room, every stage as many as they can. And I was a sniper, you know. I just kind of I pick my moment and say, hey, what kind of? I would pick out comics that I liked personally, and I'd say, what else are you doing, you know, or whatever. Or and and then I would uh, try to I would do that. I, I would want to pick who I worked with because you know anytime you can get associated with a bad comic is not good oh yeah I mean uh, you know you know like I'm lucky right now to be associated with roast battle so 
which is like the hottest show in town. It's too. jumping off. It's it's in all the trades. It, well, uh, hopefully I'm in them. That's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, still uh, undecided right now. But. I haven't seen any Getty images of you on Google yet. But. You will if that thing pops <laughs> off. Trust me, if I'm on Roast Battle over the summer, you're going to know about it. I mean, this is my shot. Like, uh, I'm beginning to think I'm not going to get Montreal new faces. So, uh, you know. Oh, I, a little late in the game for ha, new faces. Have you battled? Uh, are, are you? Are you? Are I've you done four battling? battles. Yeah, uh, I'm not a battler. Uh, the first battle I did, there was a pro wrestler uh, by the name of John Morrison, and uh, originally I was supposed to battle Dolph Ziggler, who's a very famous current pro wrestler. And uh, but they're wrestlers, pro wrestlers, if they're popular. Their their road schedule is twice as hard as a comics. You know, there there's no off season for pro wrestling. It's fifty two weeks a year. Uh, you know, a typical schedule is uh, house show on Sunday night, Monday night Raw, Tuesday night SmackDown, travel house show. I mean, it's you're doing shows four nights a week, and the, and the rest of the week you're traveling. When did that happen? Because I thought it it's was always like, been that way. Really? I thought it was like back in the day. You know how you would, because uh, uh, even back, like way back in the day, pro football wasn't pro. You would do football part of the, you know, part of the year that was it was happening. It was a season. I thought wrestlers had a season. No, it's uh, there's a pay per view or two every month. Um, I guess I never thought it. as a kid you never really pull. I mean, obviously I've fallen. Ever since I had my Santa Claus moment when yeah. it came to, you know, uh, pro wrestling, uh, you know, I've fallen off and, and well, I haven't. <laughs> and uh, but I never looked back and thought about it that. Yeah, I guess as a kid, it was always there. It well, was, because like the, the three weeks out in the month are basically done to set the pay-per-view up. Yeah. So you can't have an off. Like, um, I, I think they might. This is why these guys get injured so much. It's why a lot of them kill themselves. I mean, there's no time to like, you know, take a breath. And you have to also work out. Like it's, you know, unless you're one of those like fat bloated guys who that's, yeah. your, you know, your look. But like Dolph Ziggler, he's got an amazing body. And uh, so you got to work out. You got to travel. You got to do your show. And, and God knows the uh, pain pills these guys pop and the roids they take to and not everyone does it, but like, you know, growth hormone, all that stuff. So. Here's why. I, here's why I love Earl. Is Earl just threw that statement out there, and it there wasn't a beat, there wasn't a facial gesture, there wasn't uh, like I should. I he he said that another man had an amazing body and just breezed on through. And well, because and that's what I'm saying is like you're. I mean, I've never been that enthusiastic about the male form <laughs> no, well, i'm not, not saying true. i want to suck his dick i'm just saying he's got a good like you know i <laughs> no i you there was a time when i was oh maybe like 17 18 no you'd go to my room and there'd be like uh bodybuilding you know like oh yeah like, you kind of like yeah that's that kind of body i want to have you know um I'm close, kids. Especially after this after this pneumonia I just kicked, I'm I'm really close. <laughs> well, don't breathe too hard into that mic. Right. I mean, no, I'm not, my Z pack has done done all the heavy lifting. No, I tell intended. everyone to take Z pack. Really, it, it's uh, I don't know if it's a placebo effect for me, but uh, it always 
Within 24 hours. Yeah. Well, they say, yeah, they say it's whatever's happening to you. It's done in 48. It's 48 hours. It's out. But the thing is, is I, when I web indeed it, which, uh, um, which I shouldn't have web. Yeah, I don't recommend anything. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had AIDS. <laughs> I did WebMD once. I was like, fuck man, I need a pap smear stat, yeah. you know, but there's a, um, the Z pack doesn't work on viral pneumonia. And I didn't know that was a thing. So I had to go to a doctor before I just went, it was like, Oh, Hey, give me, give me a Z pack. I had to actually get some work done to make sure that it was bacterial because if you take a Z pack and you don't need a Z pack, you might create like some kind of super right. immune walking dead kind of thing. So, I mean, I web MD, I had a, a mysterious <laughs> uh, lump on my neck. It was a huge, it was like a golf ball sized lump and it was hard. It was like, and I was like, Jesus, I'm going to just, yeah, well, it. that's what it was <laughs> at the end of the day. But I go, I think I web MD'd bump on neck. <laughs> and the first thing that popped up was AIDS. What? Yeah. Uh, wow. For that even. And so I was so paranoid at the time that I got five AIDS tests in one day. All throughout the city. I'm like, I want to go all over the city, Santa Monica. <laughs> You're going to take a consensus. Brantwood, uh, <laughs> I think the Valley. And then I, my last day test was in West Hollywood because I thought, you know, if you, if you want to end with, you know, I want to go to the, you know, this is the real deal in West Hollywood. I mean, the AIDS test in West Hollywood are like batting practice for the angels. Uh, and the guy before me left, ran out crying. And you can get a shirt. Yeah, I love the AIDS test they have at the Blair Underwood van, uh, you know. <laughs> what? Blair Underwood, the famous actor. Uh -huh. Someone pitched him, hey, we're going to, we got you a couple bucks. We're going to put your face on the side of the AIDS testing truck. Uh-huh. So uh, usually on weekends, like tonight, uh, on right on the, I don't want to get too local for you out-of-towners, but on the corner of Santa Monica and San Vicente, which is the epicenter of West Hollywood. True. They have an AIDS truck where you can get tested by a guy in sandals. So, uh, And Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood says a huge, like, you know, picture on the side of the band that says, uh, I don't know, some corny catchphrase, you know. He's the Joey Tribbiani of the AIDS truck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, times are tough. He that sold his face. Yeah, that whole Ironsides didn't really take... I, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I tried, you know, uh, I just, yeah, for some reason, you know, with a show like Ironside, it, the show was so old, you know, the original that I yeah, don't yeah. think people, you know, it's like when they did Miami Vice, the movie, it, it paid no homage to no, the show, which no, I thought was a mistake. Far be it for me to tell Michael Mann how to work a system, but no cameos. I thought at the very least, and I will show you upstairs in my bedroom. I have two framed autograph pictures of Detective Stan Switek. <laughs> Which one was that one? He was the chubby, it, like you had Crockett and Tubbs, yeah, and then you had uh, Switek and Zito, who were like okay. the bug guys, yeah, yeah. You know, they were like the comedy relief, yeah. And, you know, Zito, in the middle of season three, the great character actor, John Deal, who might be the most prolific character actor ever. He, I mean, his IMDb page is literally, I think he's done like 200 movies, probably 100 TV shows. He's like Ron Howard's brother, <laughs> just in everything. He's like a better looking <laughs> Ron Howard's brother. And uh, he left middle of season three and the show was never the same because they had a great chemistry. 
You know, you had Crockett. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to look this stuff up and, and, and put some faces with some of these names. Well, I mean, Michael Talbot, and this shows you how cra- he played Stan Switek and how I got to know him was I'm sitting in my ex-girlfriend's office and she used to uh, be a money manager for, uh, you know, pretty big celebrities. Like I think one, uh, Andy Garcia, um, Marley Matlin. So I'm in there one day trying to pick her up to go to lunch and in walks Michael Talbot. And I knew instantly who he was. <laughs> now he was in a movie that is my favorite movie of all time called Big Wednesday. It's a surf movie and I don't surf. I just, I loved this movie. That sounds really familiar. Well, it's a great cast. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent when he was just physically in his prime. And once again, uh, listen, whatever you're into, gay, straight, whatever. But Jan Michael Vincent in 1978 was a beautiful dude. And you had Gary Busey, uh, of course, the greatest American hero, William Cat or Cot. Word. I'm sure how he says it. The beautiful character actors from the 70s and 80s, Lee Purcell, who played the horny mom in Valley Girl. I mean, but she was just perfection. <laughs> And, uh, of course, Red Brown uh, was in some really bad 80s action movies, but I'd still like to have him on the show. And uh, he, he was in the scene where the Valley kids try and crash the surfer's party, Michael Talbot. And his only line is, what do we got in here, a bunch of surfers? So when he walked into this money manager's <laughs> office, I'm sitting down. He looks at me, and I go, what do we got in here? A bunch of surfers. And it took him a second <laughs> to like realize what I was doing. So you, you got to, there's at least 15 to 20 years in between 78. This was probably 94. So uh, 16 years. So, so 16 years. You, you just call it back. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he looked at me and I remembered he was also, if you've ever seen the movie used cars, he was also the stunt driver in used cars and they pay him to take the competing lot owner of the second used car lot out on a wild ride to give him a heart attack. <laughs> And uh, he had a line that says, 2950, old man, I'm going to have to think about it. And so he kind of paused after I did the big Wednesday line. And I'm like, 2950, old man, I'm going to have to think about it. (laughs) And he looks at me like, kind of hunches his shoulders like, what are you talking about? I'm like, used cars, man, Mickey. I even remembered his name from the movie. I have a fucking amazing memory for the most obscure. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I, the recall. Yeah, I'm the same way. The, the recall on things that people take for granted. But it's not... It, with me, it's not even things people take for granted. It's just... Like one day I'm at the market on uh, Olympic and Century City, Ralph's, and I see the bad guy from Cobra, Brian E. Thompson, who hasn't really gotten back to me about coming on the podcast. <laughs> I don't hold grudges. And I walk up to him in the fruit section... And his last line in, until Stallone killed him at the end of Cobra was, even I have rights. You won't kill me, will you, pig? And I just walked up to him and said that line. And he looked at me like, what the fuck? I'm like, Cobra, man, come on. <laughs> you're just you're doing a this is your life episode right in his face. <laughs> like this is- yeah, I mean, I just... <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's yeah. 
I just love paying homage. At least I think I'm paying homage to these guys who, you know, I doubt anyone's gone up to him and and at that time probably since Cobra and thought, you know, hey man, good job. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I by the way, I looked up his picture and yeah, I know. Okay. I, re- I remember Brian him. Thompson. I rem- no, I looked or Michael up Michael Talbot. Michael Talbot. Well, but that as you can tell, I don't plan any responses or questions on this show. I guess the point of bringing up Michael Talbot's name was here he is, Miami Vice, hottest show of the 80s. Maybe the Cosby show was bigger, but it was pretty close. And he had to leave. He moved back to Idaho because he couldn't get gigs. This is crazy. You're on the number one, at the worst, the top five show from the 80s. I mean, CNN just did like half of a documentary on Miami Vice. And he couldn't get work after. Well, that's the that's the um, uh, the tale of Hollywood is like they say, enjoy it while it lasts. Or even the best advice that Chris Rock ever threw down was uh, when he said it. I'm trying to say, was it advice or? Yeah, it was on the comedians when he said, uh, I, I walk through this industry. I'm paraphrasing now. I walk through this industry like they can take it away at any moment. And that's pretty much it. You know, you can't sit there and I feel sorry for the young kids that come up and get famous, like on Disney or whatever. They're like, this is amazing. This is going to, it's going to be like this forever, (laughs) you know? And then all of a sudden nothing is going on. Well, they're like boy bands. I mean, uh, you know, as soon as the boy band fans grow up, it's like, oh, what are we listening to? And then boy bands are like. You know, I mean, some survive, like the Backstreet Boys still tour a little bit. As soon as you grow up and develop taste, <laughs> you, you kind of yeah. go like, oh, what? Yeah, yeah. As soon as your hormones are no longer leading the charge on who you who you listen to and idolize. Um, there's a Backstreet Boys. I think it's like nostalgia when people. Well, yeah. I, well, I, I will say this. Uh, I saw a Backstreet Boys concert in Chicago. And to this day, and I've been to probably 300 concerts, it was one of the top five concerts I've ever seen. Yeah? From the show spectacle. And I I got to be honest with you, I like their songs. I mean, that's crazy to admit. <laughs> what my, my, my best friend on the planet, we were best friends because of a Backstreet Boys song. Which one? Uh, oh, God. I don't know the name of it. It's Ballad? Ballad. Everybody, every everybody now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way, rock your body. <laughs> back yeah. streets, back. All right. <laughs> when I was back in Arizona, worked at Denny's, and for and that song came on the radio. It was being pumped through the music, and I started singing it at like the the breakfast bar, the diner station, and then all of a sudden. Uh, he popped his head out of the kitchen and and did second verse, <laughs> and then we both started singing it and then doing the dances, and that's it. Best friends. Well, that's what I remember the most about the show. At one point, <laughs> I think it was doing that song. They take out five chairs, and of course, they have all the session guys so far back on the stage. You can't even like they were all black, and they were great musicians, uh, but you know they didn't want them to get any of the spotlights. <laughs> I mean, like they should have had them just set up in the kitchen in the arena and. Uh, they do like these wacky dance moves, all perfect in unison while singing. Maybe they probably had some backing tapes, but uh, it was like, wow, this is. And I was the oldest guy in the arena by like 
15 years. <laughs> I felt like a fucking pedophile in that arena. You just told me, what, oh, I'm here with my my younger niece, <laughs> my, my my cousin, my younger cousin. Well, my girlfriend was working for them at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, or gotcha. ex-girlfriend, I should say. And uh, she's like, do you want to come to Chicago to see a Backstreet Boys show? I'm like, uh, you know, not really. And she's like, everything's paid for. They'll pay for your flight out here. You'll stay at the Ritz with me in Chicago. I'm like... Okay. I mean, I'm not like a gold digger, but I'm like, <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, no, I'm not like, I mean, as long as it's not costing anyone like, you know, any problems. And I, I'm glad I went. It was an amazing show. And then I got to, it was at the Allstate Arena, which is in, uh, I don't know, the, it's a suburb of Illinois. I want to say Rosemont, but I might be wrong. And that's where the Chicago Wolves played. So I started walking around the arena and... Uh, I snuck into their locker room and I was just, I was like a little kid. <laughs> I was like stinking into Van Halen's guitar closet. It's like all these jerseys, gloves, sticks. I could have stolen everything. And I, I was just like, I was putting my hands in the gloves and like real, real creepy stuff. Yeah. Everything's set up for the concert, like security. No one's really worried about people like ja yeah, jacking I mean, sports swag. I don't think anyone's, well, I, I remember trying to get the door open and this big union guy's like, said something like what the fuck are you doing i'm like uh you know i'm not really a fan of this music uh you know i'm a huge hockey guy and he, he opened the door for me and just, you know, <laughs> i think he awesome. said something like just don't fucking take anything I'm oh, like, no, right. no problem, i was gonna no ask problem. yeah see i was gonna say if you were there like you had made it back you know if you fought out all the the sneaking around rules which is walk with confidence Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> and, uh, hey, maybe a towel or a puck or something or whatever. But once the the honor code of the guy saying, all right, I'm going to hook you up, but just don't take anything. Yeah. And he didn't want any money or anything. He's yeah. just like, you know, I'm pretty good at sneaking into places, you know, when I have to, you know. But uh, but still, the Backstreet Boys was like, I was an instant fan. after, And this was at their peak of popularity. So, you know, now they're still... You can't really call them boys anymore. Backstreet men. Or something. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> that sounds like a yeah. Quentin Tarantino movie. The backdoor boys. <laughs> but it's like the same thing with like Kiss, you know, Motley Crue. All, all their songs pretty much involve around pussy, which is fine when they were, you know, in the 80s and, you know, in their 30s. But now, like, I don't want to hear Paul Stanley in his early 60s talking about <laughs> fucking... <laughs> So you have that song, Christine 16. It's like the creepy... It was creepy back then. Uh-huh. Where Gene Simmons is basically singing about sitting outside of a... Like a... I guess a, like a ninth grade, you know, tenth grade. That day I saw you coming out of school. I just got to have you. And he's still singing that lyric. Pulling the Fonzie. They're not, oh, they're, they haven't adapted it? Would no. You lose, would, you do, would you lose respect if they changed it to uh, 60? Christine 60. Christy 60. That day I saw you. Christy. Christy 60. Yeah. Our son, I mean, well, I mean, Molly <laughs> Crew is the same thing. Girls, girls, girls. Uh -huh. You know, and it's like, dude, you guys are all in your 50s. Broads, broads, yeah. broads. Saggy tits in Fort Lauderdale. Broads, broads, broads. Raising hell at the hospice. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> now, speaking of hospice, that's probably the wackiest gig I've ever done. What's your wackiest gig? Uh, Does one stand out? The, the not the okay. When you say wacky, you mean the worst 
or you mean like the, just the most surreal? I guess I, I well, I guess it's the question needs a little clarification. Like for me, I mean, I've been doing comedy 16 years. I mean, literally thousands of gigs. I, it's on like those first five or six years I was doing three gigs a night. I mean, I was an assassin. Now I don't quite do that as much, but like, uh, I think of the, the worst and wackiest gig was at a hospice. Cause this guy told me, Hey, you know, you want to do comedy for some old folks, you know? And I, I just lost my parents a few years previous. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to get back, make, make them feel good. And I walk into this like hospice care center on, in Culver city and it, the whole place smelled like piss and dookie. And I get into the room and like it, people are dying. Like literally one guy fell out of his wheelchair. Oh, uh, so that was like, I'll never forget that gig. And that was early on in my comedy. Now, <laughs> how did you do though <laughs> i killed i literally i think one guy died <laughs> they, they wheeled the one i mean guy. you know i was surviving on instinct back then you know i didn't really have <laughs> good material back then i mean luckily you know for me even early on when my material was pretty bad uh i survived on likability you know so, uh, but I was pretty bad those first couple of years. I didn't know what I was doing. First, I wanted to be a dirty comic, you know, and then I wanted to like, you know, be like not a prop comic, but like a, I, I like Carrot Top, you know. So I was like, oh, let me do some like shit like he does, and and then you know, I think about year nine, I finally settled into what I am now. Well, when so when I I cross paths with you, it's uh, the long curly hair and hockey or jerseys um well, yeah were they hockey or were they all hockey? all hockey jerseys uh because i thought what's a good way to stand out i mean there's thousands of comics who knows how many there are a million i mean it's got to be uh in la alone there's probably i would say three thousand comics and maybe another couple thousand who like call themselves comics. Uh, yeah, I can't even throw in. I couldn't even fathom. I mean, I yeah. like. I, I would say there's three thousand comics who are somewhat active, from one to seven shows a week, and then you probably got another couple hundred or thousand who might maybe do one or two shows a month, and they'll call themselves a comic. So I thought, what's a good way to stand out? And I thought, you know, I don't want to wear like loud Hawaiian shirts like Rick Rockwell. You know, he was he was that 80s comic who would wear like the obnoxious shirts and plaid pants. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that, well, no one really wears hockey jerseys. So I started wearing those and, you know, it kind of worked. I mean, I would like some of my early road gigs, people would stop me in the airport and go, hey, you're that guy who wears the jerseys. And I was, <laughs> that's exactly what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, they wouldn't remember one joke I did. And that's probably better off. And then uh, I think I did a pilot in 2007 for Barry Katz, and uh, it was a great idea. I, I really liked the idea. It was called One Night Stand Up, and the it was a dating show. Eight comics, one girl. She never saw your. She never saw you. She just heard your act, and had to decide based on your act whether or not to date you. Yeah, and I made a big fucking mistake on that show. It was at the comedy store, packed house, and I thought this is—it was this was probably my first big break. And uh, I thought this is being filmed. This is being filmed, and yeah, you know, yeah, is... assumed it was going to be on TV because at the time Barry Katz was you know the big dog on uh, 
Last Comic Standing, and I mean, I thought I didn't. I've never liked that show, so I thought because I, I don't think it it's a good portrayal of what stand up really is. Correct. Uh, you are correct. I mean, but there have been some great comics on it. You know, Alonzo Bowden. Uh, I think those comics come out despite the show. Rich Voss. I mean, Dave Bordell. Yeah. I mean, because uh, they were usually these guys, and too. I mean, sometimes. You're you're either great before you get on, and all it's going to give you is exposure, and people are like, yeah, yeah, I want to see more of that guy, or it's going to be the one that puts you out there, and everyone gets to discover that you shouldn't be out there yet. And yeah. I think the Dat fan is the the cautionary tale on that route. But he yeah. still tours off that show. He's around, you know. But what I'm saying is, he. <laughs> we all know what's 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 possible coming off last last comic standing, you know, as far as your career goes. But no, he got out there too soon. Oh, absolutely. And, he had 15 and, minutes. Yeah, if that. And really, and I, by all accounts, he's a great guy. I, I I've never. Actually that's what, and that's what got him by is that you loved him immediately. You know, he, as a person, and 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 then as the underdog, you. You just were, yeah, that's the guy. And, and that, that had to be, um, that, that had to be some kind of a, a conflict to really, really want to, now that he's out and he's, it shows over, blah, blah, to sit there and go like, man, I really love you as a person. And I, you have great jokes, but you don't have, you don't have enough of those jokes to, you know, um, to actually make a career out of this. So then he has to kind of take to kind of take a step back from all those opportunities that are presented, you know, in front of you. I heard actually, now see this, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, uh, um, the rumor mill or whatever, but I heard that what had happened is that once he got out there and they're throwing like, okay, yeah, you got 40, 45 minutes. It was 20 minutes material and then 20 minutes motivational speaking, follow your dreams. And, and, and you know, Fuck that. uh, and so it was like, wow. So you got to pepper that. <laughs> how do you, how do you mix that up so that people are like, like, well, you, I, I came out of the show feeling really good, but I didn't really get my dad's worth. <laughs> and that hurts for guys like you and me who maybe we're playing the club next week after him. And it's like, well, I had a bad experience watching this guy. I'm not going to watch these two guys yeah. or girls or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to be the asshole who says it. Uh, I mean, as far as being in the industry, um, Hey, whatever, whatever gets you to where you want to be and, you know, opportunities being what, what they are, but being an objective observer and fan of comedy, uh, I just saw Quincy Jones on uh, his his uh, on Conan, and I kind of sat there and watched it. And I said, "He's not ready," but he's you know he has material, but he's not ready, and uh, and that's just kind of that's the asshole statement. It'll it'll read as well, given a situation, you know, um, yada yada. But hey, you know, what, however opportunities present themselves, you know, be them positive or negative, take advantage, grab on with both hands, hold on tight. But uh, but yeah, just kind of saying that, like, yeah, he's he's out there, but he's not ready. So. Well, I think it depends why you're into comedy in the first place. Uh, like, if you're in it just for the fame and and the quick fifteen minutes or whatever, uh, to do whatever, you know, he, you know, like that, you know, Dad Fanny had fifteen minutes, and really that was recycled Bobby Lee stuff. He didn't steal it, but like, you know, Bobby Lee had done those uh, premises. Yeah. many moons ago you know about the fruit stand on the side of the road and you know stuff like that so it was like you know 
we've been down this road before and but uh and no one can say that dad didn't put the work in i mean he when that, that that i remember that specifically the clip where they show his notes of his and his laughs per minute and what he's going for and i mean he really put he he <laughs> he put the asian math into it you know he he really he really uh cared about the craft oh wasn't yeah just, i mean you know, i've never heard a bad word about him but uh you know what i don't like about that show it, still is uh you know they show comedy in like 30 second chunks maybe a minute i think two minutes if you're in the finals and every tom dick and harry sees that and go oh i just need like two minutes of material to get on tv yeah so it just waters the market uh unnecessarily but yeah there's always an upswell just like how after movies like top gun military enrollment goes up <laughs> after movies like backdraft people want to be a firefighter <laughs> yeah. philadelphia people want aids <laughs> yeah every time last comic comes out there's a there's an influx in the industry and just ugh. well but it's like my one uh ex-girlfriend who's you know we still talk shelly she's awesome uh, she's in the music business, and uh, she used to run a lot of these American Idol concerts, and and I would go just out of curiosity, and it was fascinating that you know these people were being put in a position to headline a concert where you know American Idol, a lot of songs they do are cover songs, so yeah. like they had to survive now on you know maybe a couple covers, but then your own material, and it was like they couldn't do it. They started putting these. Like they would put William Hung on. It was this was, and he was a huge, he was a huge star. Man. Oh yeah, they yeah. would put him on at the she end. She bang, she bang. Yeah, yeah. like borderline retarded. William Hung was the headliner. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, Shelly, why are they putting this guy on at the end? Everyone's gonna leave, and they're like, that's why, because they everyone wants to go home. So they figure if they put him on last, our night ends early. So. And the poor thing, I saw him walking around backstage at the Coliseum. I think it was like a Kiss FM concert. Uh, uh, and he just looked lost. Just like like a lot. He looked like me when I was walking around at WWF backstage in like the <laughs> early 80s. I was just like, well, you know, but that shows you my dad's parenting skills that he let me. <laughs> I mean, in the early 80s, I mean, there's shit going on backstage now. Can you imagine like. Yeah. You, know, when, you know, Pat Patterson was roaming around without social media. Yeah, people, oh without, without people looking over their shoulder, they're just like, yeah, it's a safe oh, space yeah. hey, back kid, here. Come here, suck it. I but William William looked lost on the show. He you, he just looked lost. They're so. making fun that of a retarded person. He, and here's what I don't get: what now exactly? He's on there. Um, I guess the, the word isn't ironically, but he's there and everyone knows the situation. It's clear as day is what his situation is, but then yet they keep using him because he gets ratings. So at what point does the network or the producers have to be held accountable for what they did to this guy? So they can find another guy stupider. Hey, we got a kid with Down syndrome. He's got no legs. Let's, <laughs> let's get him out there. <laughs> let's get him out there. What's well, yeah. so the LA Kings? I'm a huge hockey fan and... They used to have my buddy, Matt, who was on last week. He's like an A-level casting director, uh, Matt Matt Barry. Thank you very much. Uh, he used to be called Dancing Boy, and he used to be the hype guy. When the Kings were down a goal or whatever, they would play his song, and he'd do these crazy dances, and the crowd would just go apeshit. Now they have a kid with Down syndrome doing it. And mm. it's like, you guys got to be kidding me. You get This guy probably thinks he's at a Laker game. <laughs> 
you know, and it's like, so everyone gets taken advantage of. Yeah. From comedy. I'm having Howard Stern Beetlejuice. Yeah, flashbacks. but I mean, at least. I think Howard's, he was aware to some degree Beetlejuice, but yeah, still you take advantage of the people who, who, who really don't have a choice. And it's like, Hey, if this is what I'm going to get, I'm going to take it. But I think Howard gave those people like a little bit of stardom. Like, you know, Howard was pretty open about, he was making fun of them. You yeah. Know, like crackhead Bob and. You know, yeah. He made, he made fun of them to their face. Daniel Carver, the KKK guy. You know, that when he would always have racist jeopardy and put, <laughs> put Daniel Carver in the center because everyone, you'd have to go to him at least a few times to block. And they'd always have like Chingy, the black rapper, to his left and Robin to his right. So you may. No, no, no. Racist Hollywood squares. Right. You're right. <laughs> what did I say? Jeopardy? Jeopardy, yeah. Uh, and all of the, they, the best was when they had Bill Maher do politically incorrect with the whack pack. And they had, I think, Crackhead Bob and, like, someone else. And uh, they had Daniel Carver on. And just Bill Maher was like, what the fuck? Everything revolved around the N-word with him. Well, what do you think? Of, what do you think of the Democrats, Daniel? Well, I think they're a bunch of... Bill Maher would be like, uh, okay. So, you know, I, I think some of these, like, American Idol, last comic standing, really. I mean, they had Boon Shakalaka on. Boonshakalaka, homeless man in the LA comedy scene who yeah. steals things and sells them for a dollar. Actually, I just, I just, uh, I feel dumb. I feel like, uh, uh, <laughs> wait, I can't remember now. Who was the person made who who got um, publicity because they waved at Stevie Wonder? Who was that? Was that George Bush? Some, something happened, but and then they waved at Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Live tweet, guys, yeah, uh, on just, Monday. <laughs> uh, to get the numbers up, uh, there will be a prize uh, for the first person to tweet Monday <laughs> afternoon who was the person who waved at Stevie Wonder. Your prize will be a book uh, autographed by Kamala, the Ugandan giant. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, when Earl asked me a question, I just shrugged my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know I just mimed I don't know and I'm like oh I forgot this, this is well this Kamala is, is uh, the Ugandan giant uh, oh not that not that oh, reference. I, I was just talking what? about earlier that's why I brought up the that was my equivalent to waving at Stevie Wonder is me um, uh, using gestures physical gestures on a podcast uh, that's uh, audio <laughs> only audio that's audio only I might go video down the road uh, but uh you know, just, uh, I got, I actually got a good layout for a, a camera to be like pointed on you or me, but, uh, this, this podcast is fairly low maintenance. Uh, but you know, I'm just trying to, you know, get people to listen in their cars, maybe at work and a podcast like this is interesting. I think to people, cause you know, we're two people who've been on the scene in comedy a lot. There's a lot, we know all the dirt. And uh, I think people like the behind-the-scenes dirt of two, not struggling comics, but two comics who are still not yet known. Uh, there's a guy, Robert Hawkins. Have you worked with him yet, ever? I have not. He's uh, He bills himself, or he's billed as. I, I, I don't know if it's something that he created and has said about him. Uh, and really big sports. He did some stuff on ESPN. Um, but great comic. Uh, entertaining and 
bills himself as one of the funniest guys you've never heard of. That's you know? a big billing to live up to. Yeah, which is which is kind of, you know, I mean, well, you can nail the you've never heard of part yeah. <laughs> easy just by like, yeah, I don't know who the fuck this guy is, but he's headlining. I don't think any you know? comic should say they're the funniest anything. Yeah. It's like when you see those shows on VH1 usually and it says, you know, Joe Johnson comedian. You know, if you have to have your job title below your name, then you're probably not a good comedian. <laughs> I that uh, that's advice I gave comics back in Arizona when they were doing their flyers. Comedian, yeah, Dave Young. No, not not even comedian. Uh, the funniest. Come see the funniest. Whatever. I'm like, dude, don't. I, I'm really big on I. I give it it as advice too uh, in material to comics when they when a black comic says every black guy or whatever, it, any of this or all that. I'm not a fan of generalization, sweeping generalizations. Um, and I'm not, a, when people say they're the best or whatever, I'm just say, say one of, just throw that in there. And now you're being honest. When you put that out there, one, people are going to see you, you know, they have to come to one of your shows. And one of the, the first time I said it to someone, he goes, oh, oh, come see, uh, Phoenix's funniest comic. And I looked at the flyer and I go, well, you know, I live in Phoenix, right? <laughs> and he goes, you fuck dick. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just saying you have to be at least funnier than me. And, and you get into arguments about people like, well, no funny humor is relative. I'm like, uh, let's just say that more people are going to leave my show having laughed harder than leaving your show or laughed more laughed harder. And is, am I the asshole for saying that? Some would say yes, but that's me trying to be helpful by just like, giving someone a little perspective and saying, like, listen, don't don't put yourself out there as being the top shelf when you're not top shelf, because then people are going to walk out disenchanted and just like, uh, you know, you don't want people. The, the, <laughs> one of the compliments or the, the, the saddest compliments you can get from a friend of yours or anyone who came, came to see one of your shows is I could never do what you do. You're right. They don't say you're funny. <laughs> they don't say you're like, I could never do what you do. And it's like, oh, they're saluting my bravery. <laughs> my my courage is sticking my neck out. Well, That's it's like I saw it today. I saw a female comic in an article uh, blasting uh, the comedy store for not enough women on their lineups. And uh, th this comic was basically hiding it or masking this as saying, well, I'm I'm not getting stage time there. And then I looked at her lineup, and it's like, or I looked at her show schedule. It's like, you're not getting spots at the Ice House. You're not getting spots at the Improv. You're certainly not getting spots at Hermosa. You know, maybe the problem's you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not I would say if it was a man, story. too. But, like, you know, uh, and then there was another comic, uh, you know, I would say, and you could correct me because you've been around as long as I have, it's 80% men, 20% women in comedy, at least in L.A. comedy. So most lineups are going to be uh, men. It, it's, yeah. It's just, uh, it, you know, and there's a lot of unfunny men, you know. They don't stand out as much because, you know, it, it's like, it's like a bad black basketball player in the NBA does not stand out because... Out of the 800 players in the league, probably 750 are black. A bad white player stands out like a <laughs> sore thumb because there's fucking 10 of them. That's right. True story. So, uh, you know, and, and this was the same girl who 
couple months ago, uh, and I take I took it a little personally because I was on the lineup, but it was the comedy store lineup, and uh, it was probably the best lineup I've ever been on. I mean, I was the worst comic on the lineup. I mean, it was Marin, Michael Costa, Theo Vaughn, Joe Rogan, Joey yeah. Diaz, uh, um. You know, and she's like, where are the women on the lineup? And I think there was like two women, Sarah Tiana and Mary Lynn Reichkub. And it's like, well, there are not a lot of women first who call in for their spots here. You know, the talent coordinator, Adam, gives spots to women who call in. Um, it's not like he's telling Sarah Silverman, you know, I'm going to put Earl on over you. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't call in because uh, she probably is she does theaters yeah. or whatever. So... And then she give us some avails. Yeah, but that's not that's not this girl's issue. The fact of the matter is that she doesn't have the talent to be booked on these shows. Yeah, and she hit up the comedy store because let's be honest, of the three in L.A. or of the clubs, it's Comedy Store, the Hollywood Improv on Melrose, and Laugh Factory. One. Uh, Laugh Factory, Masada's not going to give a shit. You're never going to see Masada. There's no one you can talk to at the Laugh Factory that's going to care about any beef you have about how the Laugh Factory is doing things. And at the improv, eh, maybe you don't want to shit on the improv's doorstep, okay? Uh, the, the comedy store does seem more approachable in that fashion where, you know, you can throw some bad press or some heat on them and then they'll try to acquiesce, you know? there's uh, uh, But she was wrong. Which just drives me bonkers. <laughs> you know. Because on that, the second example I gave, uh, it was like, okay, you name me one male comic on this lineup who should be replaced and give me a proper female replacement who was like a legitimate alternative. I mean, you don't want cost on the lineup. Tell me who should be on that his spot. You know, and it's just like, you know. And then there was like a pretty funny women lineup that was like, yikes. I mean, uh, like wh where, where's your outrage when, uh, you know, six of these comics I've never seen in a comedy show before. Uh, wh where's the men on this lineup? You know, it's funny. It's funny, man. Yeah. Just bother. I don't know how we got on this subject. But I, like, a lot of it to me though, uh, it's, it's kind of, this will kind of tie into it too, is, uh, a lot of it has to do with, um, how long you've been around and credits like clout, clout, I'm gonna call it clout and credits. It seems to be the game now. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is kind of bugging me because uh, once again, talent, uh, I, th that's the question you get asked by people who know you've been doing comedy a while. I was like, dude, how the fuck are you not famous yet? Or how are you not on the, why aren't you on that show? You know? And sometimes it's personal choices. And it's sometimes it's whatever. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. You're you you're never gonna see me on uh, Byron Allen's. Uh, what's the one with the couch? But, uh, <laughs> I'd say only, I'm the only comic who hasn't been on that fucking show. Comics Unleashed. No, Unleashed. Yeah, you're not gonna see me on on Comics Unleashed. But it's got the worst setups ever. Like, <sighs> hey Wonderful. Earl, I hear you like hockey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's because I told you I did in the green room. Yeah, and here's where my grammar not kicks in is that it's the comics are totally not unleashed <laughs> they're leashed <laughs> they're leashed <laughs> they're leashed they're muzzled they're uh they're it's so funny but people look at that or why aren't you well oh, dude why are you how come do laughs tv am i gonna see you on laughs tv i'm like no Ooh, you're I'm not good on that 
No, you're not. And, and a lot of people will do it because what do you get from it? You get an instant credit. Anything that puts your face out there, like on a national level or any kind of TV thing, it's it, it's boom. Your 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 credit uh, column. But I don't. I'd rather not have. I think that the real credit's not being on laughs or comics unleashed. It's like that's not going to get you uh, at work. But like, you know, I've known people who've gotten headlining work from bombing two seasons in a row on Last Comic Standing. Because on the flyer, they put so-and-so from Last Comic Standing. Yeah. And the people are so stupid. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's the credits doing all the heavy lifting. Just like, uh, you know, um, there are certain things that comics know, like when they say, don't, don't, send out a, don't send a booking tape that was made at the Ice House. You know? Uh, See, I did. I mean, <laughs> yes, it's a hot room, but like, what, what am I supposed to do? Do a, a show a, a tape from a, a bringer show in the belly room where I'm bombing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the best place to send a tape from, and it's very hard to get stage time there, is the Hermosa Magic Club because they tape every set. It's high def audio and sound. Oh, yeah. And like the one tape uh, I got from there, it looked like I was on The Tonight Show. I mean, the, you know, it's a great background and. Uh, you know, I don't get a lot of stage time there, but that if if comics are lucky enough to play at the Hermosa Magic Club, that's where you and you get and you get a good response. Take that tape. Yeah, I mean, advice well, from a, Earl Skagel. Well, I mean, as you can see, uh, and once again, I'm pointing to uh, uh, Earl Skagel 2003 tapes on Betamax. <laughs> but I, I fuck, I no one should listen to my comedy advice. I mean, I remember the first time I submitted to Montreal. I had uh, Shelly, my ex at the time, taping me at the Hot Wire Cafe in Valley Village, which was a speed. It was a, I don't know what you call people who are recovering from speed. It was basically an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, coffee house for speed people. N.A., I think they call it. Uh, and yeah, so it'd be narcotic. Shelly set up. You know, in the back, people are walking, talking in front of the camera, the espresso <laughs> machines going on. And I was so proud of me bombing for six minutes. I sent it to Montreal, and it's probably why I never booked Montreal. <laughs> they put you on a on a no-fly oh, list yeah. because you bombed so hard. <laughs> well, I got on last year at Roast Battle, so suck it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, but it's it's things I did back, you know, because well, I mean, you know, Montreal is like, you know, that that's like the Super Bowl to me. It's oh yeah, the one thing I wish I, uh, I mean, even though I was on it last year for roast battle, uh, and I was so excited last year. Rob Schneider was there, and uh, he's like, hey, why don't you come open for me tonight? And he's playing like a 1200 seat theater. It's the lines. I show up to the theater at the lines twice around the block. I mean, it was insane because it's Deuce Bigelow, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I get there and they're like, are you Rob's open? I'm like, yeah, man. They're like, uh, he just canceled the show. He had to go back home. I'm like, Shut. And then they try and charge me to get, watch whatever the replacement show was. They're like, but you can stay and watch the show. It'll be $20. <laughs> There's still going to be a show, but you're no longer on yeah. it because you're out with Rob. Oh, welcome to Hollywood, baby. See on the red carpet. Oh my God, that would. And they were gonna charge you. Yeah, they, they, she's like, <laughs> "Well, we take cash." I'm show. like, "For what?" She's like, "To watch the show." I'm like, "I was on it a minute ago." <laughs> Talking to him. I'm not gonna pay. When I met you, I was on the show, <laughs> and now it's gone. And you're so, I mean, you know, every just, dollar. 
That is hilarious. But that, you know, that's my life in comedy. You know, just one, you know. You had asked me a question earlier. Um, and this is where, man, I guess I'm the, I'm the dick. Uh, I haven't had a lot of bad shows. I was lucky enough to whatever it is, uh, I have it. I think it's the scientist in me. I was, you know, I was going to be a scientist. It's where I was headed uh, before life made other decisions or whatever. And then I never made follow up decisions to counteract <laughs> the decisions that life made. So, hey, I guess at the end of the day, I got to assume responsibility. But uh, but yeah, so I think uh, growing up, just being a fan of comedy, you know, I mean, I was I used to, I'm a, a freshman in high school. I was always nocturnal. Um, so I got to get up for school at seven. I'm up till four in the morning watching, you know, uh, make room for daddy watching, uh, red, uh, red skeleton, uh, Lucy, I mean, watching all these shows, Dobie Gillis. Um, and then, uh, every now and again, uh, some, some old black television. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Growing up on that. I mean, those, those are given, but I mean, so all this comedy, this diverse comedy uh, uh, um, formula is just is developing inside my head. So, and then we moved around a lot. So now this is coming up as a defense mechanism. So I'm drawing from some of these things just to keep my ass from getting kicked for being the only black kid in a white school, you know. Um, and then on top of that, I'm the only, you know, I'm the smartest kid in in my class. And so, and then I had asthma. So there were lots of reasons why I was getting beat up uh, <laughs> and, and uh, plenty of cause for me to try to not get beat up. But that scientific mind learned how to construct a joke and knew how to pull from a shit ton of sources to make this joke. And, uh, and I totally just wandered around. <laughs> I lost my point. Why am I, why am I? swimming in ego lake here well this is the no point podcast uh <laughs> no you were talking about i i had uh, like 20 minutes ago i'd asked you what your worst gig was oh so once i started See, i listen comedy you do listen earl thank you <laughs> daddy knows what time listen to my, yeah, what the, i'm so boring i tune myself out right. <laughs> that's right but uh so when i started doing comedy um it was against my will it was, you know, hanging out with friends and just being like, a, I guess, a personable waiter. You always get, are you a comedian? Are you whatever? You know, are you, are you an actor? Um, and then I was always like, no, I could never do what they do. You know, I was a fan of comedy and I knew that they did it on command. And I said, I could never do that. And then finally, um, I'd say when you get on stage for the first time, um, you're going you're gonna to debut one of two ways. You're going to tell everyone you know or you're not going to tell anybody. And, uh, um, I told everyone, but my reason was because like, yeah, I'm going to kill her. I want the support. My, my, I was saying, because when, eh, maybe if soft, if hard, when, when I eat dick on stage, they'll leave me alone about it. They'll just say, oh, okay. So maybe comedy's not for you. Uh, well that first show I walked on water and, and it was always like that. Um, I've had three bad shows and the stories are amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the most surreal ones was um, when I got booked to do comedy. I mean, you said you started out dirty. You wanted to be a dirty comic? Well, I didn't. Um, <coughs> I had no material. Uh, so, uh, you know, until about two years in, I, I started, you know, I, I've always um, 
been weird how I write, but there was this Sunday radio show on, uh, you know, the Drudge Report, the website. Uh-huh. Uh, he's like a political, uh, he's like the TMZ of the political world. He, he, he had this amazing radio show on Sunday nights for three hours, and I would just sit there and listen to that and write. Um, but, you know, because he was... Uh, like he's gay, but he was never really out of the closet. So he'd he'd throw out these like kind of gay zingers, and I said, "Oh, this guy's pretty funny." And then he would take phone calls from these totally homophobic Republicans, <laughs> no idea that he was gay, uh-huh. and uh, it just. But before that, I really just would improv sets, and you know, some worked and some didn't. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I w- I was pretty green for a couple years, uh-huh. but I was treated so nice. And it was a problem for me. I don't know about you, but like I was treated like Dalia at open mics. It was like Earl's in it. Earl's in it. put him up, <laughs> put him up right now. Let him do however much time he wants. So I stuck around for too long in open mics, probably for yeah. a few years. Yeah, because I enjoyed the treatment of like being like the big dog. You'd garner the respect. Yeah, because yeah. people would see me every night, two, three. Sh- I mean, Friday nights. I, there was a great three-show circuit. You started off in the Valley, and then there was two shows in Hollywood. And then uh, I think people respected me. And it's almost to this day because I just I never have quit. Yeah. And I would have quit years ago if I thought I'd get attention from it. But. The biggest philosophy that most people have is uh, for, regarding comedy is put the work in. Pay your dues, put the work in, just crank, you know, crank that machine and it will happen. You will be big. You will blow up. And so if that's the philosophy that people have, they look at you and they're like, he's putting the work in. He's he, it's only a matter of time. It's only blah, blah, blah. And then so they're like, this guy's going to be huge. And so a lot of sometimes a lot of support is like, hey, yeah, put him up because then he blows up. We were the ones who always gave him stage time. Oh, yeah. Let us open for him. It's high-level palming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's on the DL. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've seen people be different with me ever since, uh, you know, two weeks ago when it was announced Roast Battle got picked up by Comedy Central. Like, I, I can already see the palming with me. And I'm not even, I, you know, it's not for sure I'm even on the show yet. You know, uh, it's uh, in development as we speak. <laughs> so uh, if you... Uh, or out there, and you want to see Earl on uh, Roast Battle on Comedy Central, tweet. But don't be obvious about it. Don't don't be a palmer. <laughs> Comedy Central's a little smarter than you give them credit for. So, you know, just throw out a tweet. Hey, at Comedy Central, we want Earl at Earl Skakel on at Roast Battle. But don't be a palmer. <laughs> don't say he's like the greatest comic of all time. This is going to look exactly how it is i'm telling you to say it just you know just you know subtle just be cool i like it that's very it's such a very that could be a statement right out of an 80s movie don't be a palmer dickweed but <laughs> like, it's true though. like i'm a great palmer because uh <laughs> you know uh I'm, I'm starting to be a great palmer you can't be obvious about it like there's one person at the comedy store right now and, and i won't say who they are you're not going to Ari them out? No, no. Well, well Ari's in a higher position than I am. Ari can afford to be that. Oh, press. he would never wait. He, that's the thing about Ari. He didn't position, had nothing to do with it. He was always going to put you on blast if you felt like it. 
Oh, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, don't listen to me, man. Because I mean, when Ari was doing those amazing racist videos and he had like a Bud Light campaign on TV, I'm like, dude, you got to take those down, man. Bud Light sees that. They're, they're going to like, you're going to be gone. And he didn't. And he got another Bud Light commercial. So, <laughs> believe me, I don't know anything. So uh, don't like, like ads beer. Who likes beer? Racist. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, like, <laughs> like, dude, racists are funding our beer. I mean, I'd be the worst creative person for a network ever because like you know so many of these tv shows that are massive hits like big brother i'm obsessed with that show it's on cbs it's about 20 people living in a house each week one person gets kicked out yeah yeah and none of them are celebrities and if someone brought that idea to me i would be like about you uh, going on big Brother? no about uh well i was offered and we'll bring up this show in a second uh but if someone told me, hey, Mr. Skakel, head of development at uh, you know CBS, we got this show idea about 20 people living in a house, and each week they do these wacky stunts, and then they get voted off. I'm like, who the fuck is going to watch that? Oh, yeah. And it's on not just one time a week, but three times a week. Yeah. And they really draw it out. Like the first night they have this, this, the uh, contest, and then the second night uh, they have like the whole hours basically – who get who are the final two get on the chopping block and then they have the third night is the final two who are on the chopping block they have a contest to see which one stays on and you could really do it in one hour yeah and said they have three hours I mean, i've never seen a show like this before. prison break which is one of my favorite shows of all time coming back thank you very much fox I mean, it's a little long in the tube. <laughs> I mean, they milked that cow. I mean, that cow has no more udders. But if, if I was head of development at Fox and someone said, hey, we got this idea about, well, this one brother goes to prison and uh, his other brother on the outside gets the prison uh, blueprints tattooed on his body, breaks into that prison, and then they break out. I'm like, who the fuck would watch that? <laughs> Five seasons later, you know, so don't, I've never seen prison break. Never been a, I never, I hear it's great. I hear it's great. I've just, I've just never seen it. The I, first season, if they would have just done a one season show, one off, it would have been, I think one of the most talked about TV shows of all time, because it was very 24. Like every episode had this cliffhanger. You literally did not see. It's like, it was amazing. And then I can understand why they had the second season. They get out, got to show where they go. Hey, well, the well, chase. So, so what now? Yeah, there's got to be a chase. Third season was where they started to get a little nutty. And I, <laughs> I would love to be in the writer's room of these shows. Like, you know, when you kind of are milking a good idea. Because the third season, the same eight guys who were in Fox River in Chicago end up in a Panamanian jail. <laughs> like, it was no rhyme or reason. Like, they, the, I think the storyline was they're chasing money. The money's in Panama. So they all had to go there. And then for some reason or another, they all just got arrested and put in the same prison. So then they got to break out of that prison. Wait, so if if the show has 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 jumped the fawns. It jumped the... <laughs> it didn't jump the shark. It jumped the fucking elephant. Yeah, if this show has... has, Then why are you glad it's coming back? Well, because I... I'm... Fa so, season three is in the Panama jail. Season four, they all break out and they're all on the run in, like, L.A. And then the From FBI Panama guy... LA. The mm -hmm. FBI guy who's in charge of chasing them joins them. Like, he... Jo they join forces. And... The brother, the good-looking brother, he dies. 
of this like mysterious disease at the end of season four. But <laughs> in the, the reboot, he's back alive. What? what? So I have a feeling. I've never seen it, but even still, I'm like, I, I, I have a feeling they're going to do what they did in Dallas that one season where I think they had a contract dispute with Patrick Duffy, uh -huh. who, of course, played Bobby Ewing. Did you ever yeah. watch Dallas? Yeah, I, it, it, it's in there. It's, it's in there, you know, the whole uh, dream sequence. Right. Yeah. So they had the one, they had the whole season, and then I guess he... Shit goes down. He Pam's uh, sleeping in bed, and she hears the shower, and this is like the cliffhanger. She gets up, opens the shower door, and Patrick Ewing, it was a dream scene. Yeah, everything that had happened, including his death, was all a dream. So I, I have a feeling they're going to do something like that. Uh, I think it'd be funny if they do a, a dream sequence where the, the brother, the surviving brother's in bed. He hears the shower. <laughs> he gets up. He opens up the door and it's Patrick Ewing. <laughs> Not the basketball player, but. When are you, when are, hold on a sec. How, how, how far did they go into his death? Like he's like, oh, he uh, passes out. No, no. I'm saying he passes out. The burial. They show the burial. Um, I have a fit, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they probably will do something like they faked his death. And, and so the cops wouldn't think he was alive. I mean, there's, but from what I understand, the season five, uh, is in some like European prison. Like they keep getting oh. in prison. Like how shitty of a luck can one guy have? <laughs> Oh boy! See, I wish a lot of America. See, I, even not even watching it, it just sounds ridiculous to me. Uh, but I wish a lot of American TV would just take the cue from uh, British television. Do your do your two seasons, your Christmas special, and get out. I mean, with the exception of Doctor Who, you know, <laughs> yeah. most that is the template because they don't wait for the the, the downs the, the downslope. They're just like, hey. We're not going to, they're not a big fan of milking things. They just get in, tell the story, and then let you do. They go on to make, they go on to make a, a newer content that well, way. Good shows do that. Like, you know, Sons of Anarchy <coughs> probably could have gone another season or two. They could have milked it. Um, you know, and then uh, The Wire definitely could have gone another season. Um, the Shield probably could have gone another season or two. Um but, you know, with these, I think it's, you know, Miami Vice, it was probably at the end of the road. <laughs> Full circle. I mean, there's only, you know, the problem with these cop shows and like a, a show like Sons of Anarchy is there's only so many enemies you can come up with. You know, like Sons of Anarchy, you have the black gang, you have the Mexican gang, you have the Asian <laughs> gang. Uh, and then after that, it's like, I think they had a white supremacist uh, season, which I tried to get in on. Uh, talk about method acting. Uh <laughs> And The Shield, you know, which was Kurt Sutter's show before Sons of Anarchy. It's like Dirty Cops. It's like there's only so many, you know, scenarios. Uh, and The Wire, you know, was they could have gotten one more season. But, uh, you know, I think any cop show is, is doomed to go, you know, maybe three or four seasons. Except for Ironsides. <laughs> because, okay, so even though it was an older show, I just don't think... I mean, if, if you're going to watch a cop show, you're looking for some modic some something to identify with. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're living through the hero of, of the show. And I just don't think, you know, being in a wheelchair is anything that people could really identify with on a, on a, on a ratings enough scale. 
you know, that ratings were coming out like, yeah, man, he's, it's like, okay, he's in a wheelchair, but he's, well, what's, what's my wheelchair? People people aren't going to make it. They're not going to take it as symbolic. Like what's my wheelchair, you know? Um, And, and, and let the show uh, uh, breathe for a little bit. Um, which is funny. I think a lot of these shows are getting by on Fox because they're still making up for all the heat they lost. Uh, they lost on Firefly. There's a lot of fan support and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> nerd, a lot of geek rage. Still, I mean, people still. I don't know how I can't. I don't. I don't even know how long ago that show was. Um, I loved it, uh, but people are still having hopes of that one making a comeback. <laughs> like, oh, I do that all the time. I mean, uh, These actors have moved on. There's a show, you know, Ray Liotta is a hit show again, Shades of Blue on uh, NBC. Did very well this year, first season. He had a show in 2006. I know they're not going to bring it back, but uh, it was called Smith, and it was about a team of bank robbers. And I think uh, the mentalist was uh, one of the team, you know, the Simon Baker before the mentalist. Uh, um, Virginia Madsen was his wife and it was a great show. I mean, Ray Liotta's a great actor and he's not really pretty on the eyes in high def. <laughs> That's the thing that sucks about high def, man. If you're like, like this guy, we're right now in the background, uh, there's CNN's on, I'm a big political junkie. And, uh, this guy, the political analyst is on good looking older guy, white hair. He got pretty good skin. So high def, it's not really, uh, He's trying to do the Anderson Cooper thing. Yeah, he's got that old school closeted uh, gay uh, <laughs> political guy. I meant silver hair, but all right. That <laughs> well, no, this guy's so far in the closet. He's in the warehouse. He's, I can. He's he, too good looking to be straight. He's, he's so far in the closet. He can see Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, high def. This guy. Okay, I can watch him. Ray Liotta on Shades of Blue, they would go for these close-ups of him. And uh, it and they did, like, this weird gay storyline with him. It was a great cliffhanger because, like, like, he was gay uh, in the show, but he was closeted in, in the show. So he would sneak off and, like, go to these gay bars. And there was this one scene, and I don't know how NBC let this fly because it was, you know, it's network TV where he's getting a blowjob <laughs> in an alley by this dude. And then, you know, like he's enjoying it. And I think he's about to come and he looks over and there's this dog, like an Alaskan Malamute with the most beautiful blue eyes staring at him. And they're just locked into each other. And it was like, this is the creepiest. <laughs> wow. How Ray Liotta agreed to this scene. It's like, <laughs> he must've gotten a, a, a SAG voucher for this scene. <laughs> There's so, a, uh, I think pretty much after once they started letting Dennis Franz show his ass, I think they started to loosen the reins up on what they would. What, 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 on network TV, it's like that's what know, I'm saying. I mean, FX was you know you can go a little nutty, you know, like season two of uh, Sons of Anarchy, Henry Rollins was the main bad guy. He was a white supremacist, and they had him have a tattoo that said "I kill." Mm, mm. <laughs> words that run with bigger and i was like jesus christ how, how is this getting on you know cable i mean so times are definitely changing so uh you know and netflix now has changed the landscape of- fx their their original uh, station name used to be giving zero fx giving zero fucks That's- really <laughs> no oh, That'd be great though. Well, I'm gullible, so i, I <laughs> you know i mean it's it's i mean i remember you know 
I mean, I'm 47, so how old are you? Uh, nobody knows. The whole Buddhism it. thing. It's all good, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel 47, which is why I don't... Mind. You don't look 47, Earl. I, a lot of I, was just, I was surprised when you said it just now. I'm like, really? Wow. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I don't... I've never had a drug or drink in my life, uh, so that's helped. I forgot you were a teetotaler. That's right. But it's funny. I've lived an insane life for someone who is a teetotaler. I've been to gangbangs. I've seen guys freebase in front of me. I've seen uh, my buddy, who's uh, like a very high-level agent to this day, uh, snort cocaine out of a stripper's vagina. Um, (laughs) You know, I've been in... Uh, situations where I felt so uncomfortable, I had to leave the room. I was like accused to pinball sh- machine uh, scenes. I'm like, guys, I, I'm out. Uh, so I've lived a great life. You know, when you tell people you don't do drugs or drink, they think, oh, you must have had a boring life. I, oh, it'll pigeonhole you immediately. I've lived a life that most celebrities don't get to see. <laughs> and you remember it. Yeah. That, because. <laughs> so the questionable decisions I've made with women, unfortunately, I've had to remember them. Yeah, he has to. He has no excuse. <laughs> I mean. Oh, yeah, you, you have to hold yourself accountable. Well, I mean, you know, it's, my parents were uh, very bizarre, uh, but they were effective in their parenting skills uh my mother well so i i'm the oldest of six and uh so my mom had the philosophy of i could do whatever i want and then if i messed up that i messed it up for everybody else so um so that's the way i grew up so my mom pretty much let me do everything she was the person who said like hey listen if you were gonna you know when i became sexually active and she's the one you know single parent home um, I had a, she had a longtime boyfriend who was a, a strong male influence, but you know, she was never afraid to tell me things and have talks to me. Um, so when she, when I became sex, they were on the age to become sexually active. She, uh, cause I was still the geek who wasn't <laughs> kidding anywhere, but she said, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know that if you are with someone, you start seeing anyone and you're going to, you know, start, um, doing those things uh i want to let you know that you can come here and use your room you don't right. have to sneak around she's like she didn't so she didn't want me in a car or like in some burned out shed you know <laughs> uh off off in the uh the desert or whatever she she offered me a safe place so um i grew up with that mentality and i took that with me into uh uh the world so i was really big into um not into drugs, but into experimenting and right. checking things out for myself. Um, uh, yet, I can still say I have never been to a concert. Really? Yeah. Well, you saw me open up for Rob Schneider in the Tempe. That that's no, that's that's a no, not a not a that's a concert. <laughs> music music wise, music wise, the only concert I ever had a chance to go to was oh. Opportunity it was MC Hammer. Can't touch this. Yeah, and uh, and but that it fell through, so I didn't I didn't I didn't get to go. And since then, I mean, I've seen live music, but I've never been to a a major event. You know, oh, it's no I Beyonce mean, for me, no Rihanna. You know? I mean, I was lucky. My my first concert was Springsteen at the Coliseum, and to see one, your first concert yeah, ever, it was unbelievable. Jeez. Like he played in front of ninety thousand people. I think five nights in a row. I think I went three nights. And there was an empty seat in the house, three-hour show. And this was at Born in the Run tours. Or no, I'm sorry, Born in the USA tour, which is commercially his peak. Um, and 
no opening act, no intermission. I oh, mean, Bruce, he's all a the maniac. Time. <laughs> and uh, and then my first metal show, which you know tend to be on the funner side, because Bruce got into the political stuff even back then, which is fine. It's his show. Uh, but you know, when I go to a concert, I want to be suspended in disbelief. I don't want to talk about stand up. I don't want to talk about. Uh, you know Donald Trump running or, or Ben Carson or whoever and the first concert on metal show was Kiss Slaughter and Winger <laughs> 1991 Long Beach Arena and Kiss had the greatest entrance ever this was on the Hot in the Shade tour which was the stage was a pharaoh's head a sphinx and the, the arena goes dark and all of a sudden lasers shoot out of the uh Sphinx's eyes and then the mouth opens up and Kiss is all there and of course posing you know like with their hands in the air and you know stupid macho pose <laughs> and there's a green light behind them so it's just like the most visual and you know I mean Kiss does anything to distract you from how shitty their music is <laughs> so and the, but so I was just I mean that's like a show I love going to because it's you know uh, you know comedy's a stressful business even at our level, it's even more stressful because we're trying to make it whatever make it means. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I imagine when you make it, Bill Burr, he's got a show at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, thousands of people, all the pressure to perform well for people who paid 50 bucks a ticket. What know? do you, th what do you think, um, uh, the, the definition of make it is, like for you, because I've heard it said, um, who was it? I think it was Jay Moore who was talking about it. He said that there are um, layers of making it. You're going to have like, you know, there's not just one, uh, one big break or uh, one moment. So like, yep, that's it. I'm in. And now I just got to maintain. There's going to be like, you're going to have rises, just, you know, continual peaks. I think that's true. I mean, I know... Some people, uh, like open micers, think I've made it. You know, oh, Earl, you're popular on Roast Battle. You've got your own podcast. And, and like, to me, someone like Joe Rogan has made it. Like, his podcast is number one in the world. He's, he doesn't do comedy clubs anymore because it's almost small time for him. I mean, he goes to the comedy. I mean, he does, but like, you know, he does theaters. And then you've got Russell Peters, who I, I don't know. You know, he, he plays fucking arenas. And even someone like Russell Peters, I'm sure, admires someone like, I wish I had, you know, whatever. I You know, I don't know. But, like, you know, it's like, I agree with Jay Moore. There's, I don't think there's one final level where, if there was a final level, it would be where Russell Peters is at. Yeah. And I think even when Jay said it, he was quoting somebody else. Uh, but it's just good. It is just good advice. Like, um, I think, uh, um, to me, I think you've made it when you have to start saying no. Yeah, and I you've mean, made it. Uh, I mean, I'm which by that definition, Samuel Jackson still hasn't made it because <laughs> he doesn't say no to anything. Well, he's like the <laughs> black Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> he's like Stallone in the mid '80s. Fuck <laughs> it. I always love. I, I just love Stallone in the mid '80s. Uh, hey. I'd love to be a fly in the wall when he was pitched the movie over the top. I mean, oh, that's a great movie. I love it, but you know, oh, when you okay. think about don't it, don't you dare! Oh, it's one of my favorite <laughs> Stallone movies uh, uh, because I like Stallone's movies 
that were kind of not under the radar because he's never really done an under the radar movie. Uh, you know, they've all had some degree of success, but yeah, um, my, like probably my favorite Stallone movie. I hear people say Rambo, Rocky. Uh, you know, I love Nighthawks, which was the movie. I have not seen that one. I can definitely say I've never seen it. It's a great movie because it's Rutger Hauer's first American film. Really? And he, this is Rutger Hauer when he was just, you know, once again, just super good looking dude, but a good actor. So, you know, and he just played. I've always loved Rutger Hauer. Well, they probably couldn't do this movie. Even in Lady Hawk. This is probably (laughs) three or four years before Lady Hawk. I think it was 81. Uh, and I think Lady Hawk, if I'm remembering correctly, was like 83 or 84. Yeah, it's in that. It's it's in the 83 to 85 window. And I bought. Uh, let me get the name of the book right. I bought Rucker Hauer's uh, book, All Those Moments, just to read the chapter <laughs> on Nighthawks because it's a great story. Uh, you know, this was his first American film, so he was very nervous. Uh, and this was Stallone's, I think. First movie after I think Rocky Two, where uh, he was directing, producing, doing everything. Um, you know, and with the success of Rocky, there was a lot of pressure on him. Like, okay, let's see if you can do something other than Rocky. And uh, apparently, from day one, him and Rucker Howard didn't get along because, like, in the chase scenes, Rucker Howard would outrun him. <laughs> Stallone had this big ego like what are you doing outrunning me so the very first scene they I don't want to ruin the movie <laughs> spoilers well, well I'll, I'll, I'll say this the first scene they do like it's Rutger Hauer's first day on set <laughs> is the end it's the final scene and so I don't want to ruin it for you but let's just say uh, it was supposed to go a certain way Stallone didn't tell Rutger Hauer something about the stunt they were doing Oh, so you know here, Rutger Hauer's, uh, you know, in position in his position, and uh, it happened a lot harder than he was led to believe. Yeah. So then the whole rest of the movie, Rutger Hauer's like, and this is according to Rutger Hauer in his own book, all those moments available on paperback. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting no money for this Rutger Hauer plug. <laughs> I'm only getting money from uh, ProStockHockey.com and. Uh, at Mike Knuckles, but uh, you know, ever since that scene, Rucker, I was like, I'm going to outrun him in every scene. I'm going to be at, out, out, athleticize him in every scene, and so it was a real uh, awkward movie. But over the top, you know, Stallone had just done Cobra, and I know we talked about that earlier. But then his agent must have said, "Hey, Sly, I just got this script from uh, you know CAA. It's." Uh, it's a two-hour movie about you arm wrestling fat slobs. <laughs> okay. Like, not even a hesitation of, can I see the script? When do we shoot? So, but that's the mid-eight. You know what, though? I, I I just realized now how they sold it to him. They sold it to him as like, listen, you're a, you're a single dad. <laughs> I don't think that kid's acted since. I was going to ask you if David he, Mendenhall. If he was in anything. That w- that wasn't the kid from He was in like another uh he was in something right before Over the Top where you're like, "Oh wow, this kid's a good actor." Yeah, he's going to start coming out and doing things. And he was a good-looking dude. He could act. But uh it's weird though like how one movie can almost ruin your like I'm sure that kid walked into every audition from probably 87 to 90 
two going, oh, Jesus, that's the kid from over the top. <laughs> but how can you be how can you be typecast as it's Hollywood, baby? Uh huh. You don't think every well, I don't think Rob Schneider goes into auditions, but like you, you don't think every time, you know, uh, Rob Schneider's name is mentioned and hey, why don't we get Rob Schneider to read for this part? Oh, that's Deuce Bigelow, you know, or, or you, know, you know, you don't think like uh, I mean. You know, like that. Well, I know Jonathan Taylor Thomas had that hit TV show. What was he on? Home Improvement. Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah. But you know, he did that Schwarzenegger bomb, uh, Last Action Hero, and he couldn't really recover from that. No, he wasn't in that. That was a different kid. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was in Last Action Hero. No, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was definitely not in Last Action. All right, Hero. Uh, I you know I, 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 I'm I'm here now, but. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm looking up this the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to look up on my phone. Uh, Last action hero. Uh, you're gonna hear me say it into my phone. That's how lazy I am. Uh, hold on, I can't do that. Yet. Here, you 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 look. I'll tell a story about my. Uh, uh, I don't think I finished my worst comedy experience. Yes. Um, so uh, what is? Finish up that story. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, me talking is better than just going. Bah, 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 Let me interrupt bah, just for two seconds. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> I I stand corrected. It was not Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It was Austin O'Brien. Yeah, Austin. Now Austin O'Brien, he did his, and I think he did My Girl Two. That kid uh, uh, didn't do very much after his uh, uh, child child actor stint. Um, but, or uh, uh, Jonathan Brandis either from Sequest. Uh, he killed himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I knew a girl. I knew there was a girl uh, that I don't know if she came out here to model or or be an actress, but she was from another country and um, uh, southern regions. She was a lat uh, Latina, and uh, she came out. And one of her dreams was to meet Jonathan Brandis. That was her thing. And he killed himself, I think, two months after she got here or something like that. And she was heartbroken more than just chasing her own dreams. It was it was, you know, she was it was a uh, she I mean, sorry, she wanted to meet him more than it was about her chasing her dreams. And then I was like, oh, so she's like, but I I did everything to get here. I, <laughs> I saw, you know, I came here with nothing and it's not, I, I can just leave. And I'm like, wow, that's, but, um, sure. that's something you didn't see coming. I mean, I thought Jonathan was going to be around forever. He was in everything. Even my, even the flash. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that Ronnie Dangerfield movie, lady, what no, it's lady soccer, lady bucks. You know, he was a good actor. Yeah. You know, he just, uh, I mean, that's the crazy thing about this business. It's just, uh, you know. And the Chuck Norris movie. He was also in a Chuck Norris movie. Sidekicks. God, Great movie. Man, you're good. Great. I am. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. When I see you, you can do wrestling and sports, but and when it comes movies. to yeah, when it comes to uh, uh, anything geekery or pop culturey, like you know, TV wise, I'm 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 pretty on top of it. Well, That's the eighties were just such a prime era for that. You know, just character actor like you know, weird shows, you know, like there was a Bad News Bears TV show most people didn't see. It was on Channel 2. Yeah, I can vaguely remember that. Uh, it was early 80s, but not so much, but, uh, you know, so many movies, uh, late 70s you could throw in, uh, probably one of my favorite movies of all time is that Chris Christopherson movie, Convoy. 
<laughs> because there was a great and I've you, you talk about timing and acting and and you know being in the right place or being in the wrong place. There was a uh, black comic in that. You know, I think they wanted to have a black uh, like a black person in that movie because it was an all white cast. And I'm yeah, sure, yeah. I'm sure someone was like, "Well, we got to get a black guy in here." And they had the great. Great. They're black truckers. <laughs> Not many. <laughs> but they're there. And they had Franklin Ajay. Oh, who, yeah. Uh, you just talk about a guy who, you know, you look at, he was in, a, and still is alive and a great, great comic, but he had the unfortunate, uh, you know, uh, bad timing to be the black comic other than Richard Pryor. You know, and it was just like, Back then, there was probably only room for one famous black comic. Well, there's styles. I, I I am fortunate to say that I opened for a guy in 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 uh, uh, Scottsdale. He's awesome, man. And one of the smoothest cats. You you actually lean forward because of of how his delivery is. You lean forward in anticipation of what he's gonna say, and and then when he hits his punchline, you just kind of you just sit back and relax and enjoy it. And then he starts his next thing. You start leaning forward, leaning forward. And then he says it. And he's just so smooth. Yeah. Jai's, to me, he's one of the most underrated. Oh, my God. Just, that's a bummer. Like when you see someone like him not in, goes back to what we were talking about, what's making it. Like to me, he's made it because he's like, like someone I couldn't, you know, follow. I mean, he's just amazing. But, you know, I'm sure to him, he looks at. Richard Pryor goes, I want what he has. <laughs> yeah. Even Richard Pryor probably looks at, I don't know, Lenny Bruce and says, well, I want what he had. And then I don't know who Lenny Bruce looked up to. But, you know, this, I guess you always want what you don't have. I think with enough time, though, if you can look back and say, yeah, I want what someone has. But then you can sit there and say, because you, you, when you're looking at that person, like after time has passed and, yeah, what they have, you can also see everything else that quote unquote came along with it. So you can make that decision like, yeah, sure. That would have been great. But if it meant taking on all that, if it meant <laughs> having, you know, getting, setting myself on fire, it's a hell of a gimmick. <laughs> if it meant, uh, you know, getting addicted to, uh, uh, to, to uh, crack, if it meant, um, now, uh, you know, God, I mean, for someone so great to have, that exit you know well, it's um, just you know it's like uh, these are choices that that uh, then you say then i don't choose that you know what i mean so perspective baby oh yeah i mean i perspective, saw baby. a lot in the 80s uh yeah, with bands you know like guns and roses was huge you know but there was a band called shark island before them that uh you know musically just as good but didn't quite have the image uh you know, and just why did one band go on to be the biggest band of all time or in the last 30 years? Uh, and then one couldn't fill a, a bar in the valley right now. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of bands who are just as good as Kiss. But I will say this. Richard Pryor wasn't you didn't have to think about he was he was he was serving it up to you. Any of the the political stuff or any of the commentary socially, whatever. He was serving it up to you. Franklin has always been, he's like, no, I'm going to let you sit with it for a bit. Or I'm going to let you. Um, and I think that's the difference, back, especially back then. Back then, no one wanted. I mean, that was that led into the, the rise of Dice. 
You know, it's like you didn't have to think about dice at all. He was just going <laughs> to dice was just going to tee it all up. And you're just like on board like, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, know? I remember that first live album I bought a dice. I'll never forget how we opened it. Madison Square Garden. He's like Korean delis, Jewish massage parlors and ass fucking parties every night of the week. New York <laughs> City. How are you? <laughs> wow. this guy's Because I knew him. When he was on that show, Crime Story, I knew him. Uh, I was a fan of his before he was. Before I knew he was a comic, uh, he was. Uh, Crime Story was a show. Michael Mann basically left Miami Vice in season three ish, even though his name was on every episode. Yeah, to do Crime Story, and uh, that was a great show. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs was in it. Burber girl, burber girl. Yeah, she a great big fat person. <laughs> I this is my bucket list. I have two bucket list guests for this show. One, I want to have Gene Simmons on from Kiss, just because I'm you know I'm a Kiss nut swinger, and I want to have Ted Levine on as Buffalo Bill, but I want him to be Buffalo Bill the whole time. He wouldn't do it. He I, wouldn't do it. Who has the Buffalo Bill story? There's a I think it's a comic. Someone met met him. They they did Monk. Okay, yeah, he was on that. And they did the impression, <laughs> and he heard it. I don't know if he did it to him or if he did it and he was nearby or whatever, but yeah, that didn't that didn't go well for whoever did that impression. I just think it would be you so You didn't think it was funny. funny. Like, hey, today's guest on Inappropriate All, uh, Buffalo Bill, lover of big women. And, uh, <laughs> Bill, what have you been up to since Silence of the Lambs? And just he stayed in character the whole time. That would be... Oh, wait, epic. Earl. It's a great big fat person. Because <laughs> no, I did that... A podcast. I did a podcast once with Dean Del Rey where we interviewed the singer from Steel Panther. And he's a legendary... Uh, you know, he was in Atomic Punks, which was a Van Halen band, and he was David Lee Ralph. And uh, <laughs> he did the whole podcast in character. Like, I would ask him serious questions about... Hey, so when Steel Panther started, what was it like playing other people's songs and not being known for your own? And in character of the wacky 80s metal singer, he just started talking about all the pussy he was getting. <laughs> so if you're out there, Ted Levine, uh, you know, come on, man. It's what you're known for. I mean, yes, you were in Heat as the detective and Monk and uh, Crime Story and other things. But come on, man. You, that would break the Internet. He'll do it. He'll do it after his last because there's always a point where every you know how they say uh, every entertainer has his price there's a point where every entertainer realizes that his price has dropped <laughs> it's like those older actresses hollywood actresses that would finally end up in playboy you know like well no one's asking anymore so now i'll do it now i'll show him my boobs well, I don't know if uh, Ted Levine's price will drop that low. <laughs> He'll come on your podcast and do some full frontal for where it. he will. No, he doesn't have to do that. He'll but, tuck you know, it. You would never see it just anyway. Like you know. Uh, well, I remember when I first saw that movie. Uh, it was sold out. There was a lot of buzz around it. The Oscar, where the end. The theater I saw it in was. I had the only. Uh, Seats left were in the front row. So I'm watching the movie from the front row. And, you know, <laughs> Holy th shit. This was at a theater where literally the front row was maybe 10 feet from the screen. This is pre And this is pre-reclining, folks. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm literally like breaking my neck to see the film. And then when that scene came on and the music starts, I was like, 
And I'm like, what the fuck? I thought it was like a Chia Pets head or something. And then I think I had a date with me, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and he, Science you know, of the Lambs, number one date movie of that year. Oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> I took a date once to Orgasmo, an 18-year-old with huge tits. I mean, I was like, I wouldn't say I was in love with this girl, but like, you know, I was like, this girl was like so green around the gills, just right off the banana boat from Arizona, you know, uh -huh. and uh, she never talked to me again. So there you go. But... I think my uh, this is podcast has gone on so long. I think my recorder is about to stop. Uh, this is the part, and, and you know it's probably a good time to not stop, but a good time. You know, like I was telling you when you came here, I like to give the audience a tasty, <laughs> and then they like I want to leave them wanting more. And I think I told you this lasts about an hour. We are at uh, an hour and forty minutes. Oh wow! No, uh, oh, that's great. I mean, I love. Uh, this is some, this is, if someone has a long drive, this is a perfect episode where they just pop it in and, oh, two hours later, they're at wherever they're supposed to be. Um, but there or, will be know, a, listen to a little bit of it, then put your kids to bed, come back. Yeah. <laughs> Squirt in your wife or your girlfriend <laughs> or your boyfriend. I don't care. It's 2016. It's gay marriage. It's, it's Caitlyn Jenner. See ya. See ya. <laughs> boy, I watched that WNBA draft the other day and, uh, Oh, boy. Some of those dudes could grow a playoff beard <laughs> in hockey. I mean, they are some... Oh, boy. Uh, but that's another podcast. Well, thank you, Caitlin Jenner. Just be yourself. Uh, Davion, where can people find you on... Like, Are you on Instagram? Uh, yeah. I, you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, you know, like, Let's start with Twitter. I mentioned Buddhism, but yeah, because of my Buddhist nature, I uh, stayed out of the matrix for as long as I could. And now I'm I'm all in. I think by the time this airs, I'll even have a YouTube channel up. Uh, so you can catch me at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook fan page, and the YouTube channel will all be... Uh, uh, Spell at, it, please. <laughs> it's The Real, last name D-U-M-O-N. The Real Duman. I kept it simple. Yep. Well, that's at good. the real Dumont, you can find me. Um, and of course, though, if you just go to, you know, Davion Dumont, which if you've seen this online, you've seen how my name is spelled. If you spell Google it that, though. D e v y a n, as in uh, Nick. D u m as in Mark. O n, uh, and then that's it. DavionDumont.com, and everything will be linked up there. And uh, he's a good dude. He's one of the. Uh, he's, you know, I've been doing comedy sixteen years in L.A made a lot of good friends but you know the majority of people i've dealt with in 16 years are just snakes palmers greasers bullshitters uh unproductive unkempt untalented uh people but i love them all and, uh, <laughs> but amen devion's a good one so follow him support him he's a super funny dude so if you're in la check out his shows check out his youtube channel that's popping uh i don't promote my youtube page that much but uh you know i got one just earl skakel and uh you know as always uh itunes and soundcloud inappropriate earl uh, you know at gene simmons tweeted him get him on this show but now like i said about uh, two hours ago on this podcast i appreciate the love and a few of you have tweeted on your own at comedy central and roast battle you gotta play it cool 
<laughs> you can't act like I'm telling you to do it. Because then they're like, well, we'll just get somebody else who's not such a palmer. <laughs> I'm trying to give you guys a, an online lesson on palming. Yeah. You got to play it cool. You don't say, you know, like I, you guys sometimes go on my YouTube page and go, oh my God, this is the greatest stand up clip ever. And it's me like doing marginally well at you know, <laughs> Bob's Crab Shack in Ukaipa. You just got to play it cool. Play it cool. You know, don't overdo it. So uh, inappropriate. I'll leave a review on iTunes. It helps. You know, I have like 100 reviews. That's cool. Joe Rogan is like literally 10,000. So, you know, I, I need more reviews. And once again, play it cool. Don't overdo it. <laughs> One guy put this is the greatest podcast ever after like my second podcast, which was horrible. I had the speakers pointing in the wrong direction. I'm speaking into a mic that wasn't plugged in. It was not the greatest podcast ever. So. You're so self-critical, Earl. Maybe you maybe that was the greatest show he'd ever heard hashtag play it cool <laughs> earl skakel devion duman this will be out monday which i think is uh the uh, 19th april 19th so uh, tweet it out facebook it at linkedin pinterest it you know the better the numbers are the better it is for us all prostockhockey.com at mike knuckles earl skakel out.